1: Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Top of Thunder podcast. I'm your host today, Dylan, at Thunder Chats. You know what it is. Uh, we've got a very special pod today with some special guests and, of course, my co-hosts. And before I introduce those, I want to make a small reminder that we are a part of the Believe or Believe. Believe. I'm not sure how to say it, but we're part of that podcast network. Uh, we're very proud to be a part of that. Um, it's still kind of new to us, so I, I keep forgetting to mention it, but we're very much part of that network. And through them, we actually have a sponsor who brings us, er, who brings you guys each podcast. That's betonline.ag. And thanks to the good folks at betonline.ag, we have our Rookie of the Year odds. And our boy who we're going to be talking about in this podcast, very much so, Josh Giddey, is actually number seven in Rookie of the Year odds. So K Cunningham paces the back three to one. Jalen Green right behind him four to one. Then you got Evan Moby six to one. Suggs seven to one. Scotty Barnes eight to one. And then we got James Bootnight twelve to one. Remember him? And then of course we got the Australian Golden Boy, Josh Giddy, at sixteen to one. Now, if you want to make a bet on your rookie of the year odds, you want to bet on our boy Josh Giddy. You want to bet on what could have been with James Bootnight, or you want to root for the Oklahoma State Cowboy, Cake Cunningham. Whatever bet you want to make, if you're into sports betting, Bet Online is where you should go to win money today. Visit the website or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So, before the next big game, head on over to Bet Online and start playing today. Bet Online, your online sports book experts. Without further ado, I present to you part one of the Josh Giddy podcast. I'm going to introduce my co host. And we're gonna welcome in Lachlan Everett, who is an NBL reporter. Um, he's he's got some fresh takes on Josh Giddy. and then after that, we'll be bringing in William Crouch, who actually covers the Adelaide 36ers in Australia too. So, lots of great content co- content, not contact. Lots of great content on our boy Josh Giddy. So, uh, stay tuned. Thunder up. Whoa. Well. All right, guys, so I am joined today by two guys in the state of Oklahoma. First off, we've got the runner, the track star, Matt Tierney. Tierney, what's up man? No,
0: we're not going by that because (laughs) I I walked, I think I went a total of one and a half miles and I walked for about a mile of it, so it's technically more accurate to say I'm a walker, not a runner, but I'm good.
1: Baby baby. steps, we're going to call you baby Baby steps. steps.
0: Baby steps, baby steps, baby.
1: All right, and also we've got Alex Roy. What up, Alejandro?
2: I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm uh, I'm
1: feeling a lot more positive about
2: this draft, you know, about a week out. So,
1: Would you say you're feeling giddy?
2: I would. I would. <laughs> hey, guess
1: what? I've
0: never heard that one before.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, but hey, guys, you know, as I've already said, we're talking about Josh getting this episode, and we've got a couple of experts here to talk about it. First off, we've got the man who – came in hot in the draft podcast said I'm tired of your pity party let me explain why Josh Giddy is a great pick this guy's a reporter for the NBL he is responsible for national coverage on the Australian boomers and he is going to give us all the info on the thunder from down under please welcome Lachlan Everett let's go all right all right Lachlan I appreciate you uh coming on here um you know like I said you kind of went wax poetic in the in the draft pod but you know we were uh we were kind of feeling a bunch of emotions tonight so you know after taking a step back looking at ten thousand feet i think we got clear heads clear eyes full heart can't lose so we're gonna dive into some josh giddy content here
3: yeah well as you can imagine i covered him for eight months and then what every person does come draft time they look at the last two weeks of draft time and then they have no idea what's going on and then they See Giddy get picked and then they're confused. And it's my job to explain it, I guess. All
1: right, rock and roll. Well, um, you know, before we get into exclusive Giddy coverage, anytime we have a guest on here, we'd like to ask a few background questions on our guests. Just, you know, we can kind of get to know them a little bit, let them, you know, get more comfortable. So we're going to start out, man. Uh, what first gave you interest into the NBL?
3: Um, I started playing basketball late, but, you know, I didn't grow tall enough, so I didn't make it. So I ended up writing, but I was probably 14, 15 when I started playing. And then I ended up playing Aussie rules football as well, but sort of started when I was 15, I started playing and watching. And then my real interest in the NBL kicked off with, um, Andrew Bogut signing in the league back in the 18, 19 season. Um, when Bogut had another injury with the Cavs, and then he moved around a bit more with the Lakers and then he, um, And then he finally caved in and went to the NBL, got a bit of money out of it. But that sort of cemented to me and a lot of Australian people that the NBL was serious. And I sort of followed from that point. And it's sort of just been that I've created a niche for myself explaining NBL things to Americans. And that really came in for fruition when LaMelo Ball came down to Australia. And I really put my foot in the door with my coverage of him.
0: Yeah. I feel like uh, LaMelo was the breakthrough for a lot of Americans in terms of like exposure to the NBL, I'm kind of curious since you're, uh, since you report, uh, uh for that league, uh, can you kind of describe how the environment is there? Because I, I, uh, hand up have not watched a lot of NBL yet or know a lot of the teams, but I'm curious if it's anywhere similar to the NBA where, and what I mean by that is like the, there's a lot of players like the superstars that will like demand trades to other teams. And you've got like all this drama and kind of stuff that isn't in basketball. Does that happen a lot in the NBL or is it more just like you play basketball and that's kind of it?
3: Um, Well, in many international leagues, it's not, it's meant, it's mostly an American thing where trading happens mid season and the hoo-ha about free agency and that, but you know, in Europe with soccer, they have trades and such, but when it comes to the NBL, it's you get your you get your free agents in the offseason. If they muck up or they're bad, you cut them, you sign another one. There's no trades, there's no fixing mistakes, there's no draft picks. You a you're a bad team, you're gonna fold. You're not gonna be able to be a team, you're not gonna get handed out draft picks every year. You've got to sign well, you've got to train well, and you've got to have a good organization and steady fans to keep your team afloat. So it's more ruthless in that sense if you're a bad organization you can't get away with just being given you know handouts every year in the draft so that's why we see teams fold the most recent team that folded was the illawarra hawks who after the lamello lamello did not cause enough domestic like interest in the illawarra hawks it was mostly in the big cities that people were interested so after that season ended, they had a poorly run organization. The team folded and liquidated. The NBL held the license, and then they sold it off to new owners. And then they've come back as the Hawks, and then eventually re-adopted the Illawarra name. But next season, it's also the Tasmanian Jack Jumpers that are coming in, so it becomes a ten-team league with only four in the playoffs. So it's very different from the NBA. It's hard to compare anything to the NBA because they just play 82 games. In the NBL, you get 26 games, 38. 30- we played 36 games this season because we had an in-season tournament, but it's very hard to compare anything to the NBA. And most overseas leagues follow a f- similar profile to the NBL. And that's because other leagues set that profile of shorter seasons. You only get three imports. You have this, the rest of the roster are local, which is either Australian, New Zealand, or Asian players. So it's basically from Japan down. So you can sign Indonesian, Philippine players on um, special... Um, restriction contracts which don't count against your import so it's completely different
2: oh i got a question um so you talked about in-season tournament that's something that adam silver has been trying to put out there for you you know for the last two or three years how did that work out with the nbl and you know maybe that's something that adam silver looks at as a as a model um so so how does that work and how does it affect like playoff standings or anything like that in the NBL?
3: It was born out of necessity due to COVID that Australia had lockdowns in certain areas and travel restrictions, and they couldn't play with fans in certain areas. So they've just realized that they had to have a month of stability within the league. So they formed an in-season tournament where every team went down to Melbourne, which is the NBL's HQ, which has caused controversy in and in itself, but, for a month everyone played in Melbourne and there was an in-season tournament the incentive was i believe $300,000 if you won the tournament split between the team and then a hun- and then it was like it was either a 300,000 NBL cup i think it was 100 150,000 and then it was 100,000 and then 500,000 like for 1 2 and 3 and how it worked was it wasn't scored by games one. It was scored by quarters one. So if you scored the most points in a quarter, you get the most points. And then whoever scored, whoever won the most quarters by the end won the tournament. But obviously winning the games gives you points incentives as well and stuff like that. But it was mostly just an experiment within the regular season where everyone lived in Melbourne for a month. It wasn't really like an outside experience. It all counted towards the regular season, but it was, was exciting in a sense where one team got on a real roll and won seven out of their eight games and it was exciting because they just went on a rampage and it was good for me because i live in melbourne so i got to see everyone at a very reasonable price all the tickets were quite low to get people coming in so i don't know how the nba incentivizes it because obviously money is an incentive down here because the contracts are lesser but over in america i don't see how money is an incentive for some of these players as well as it didn't give you any advantages going into the playoffs or the rest of the regular season. It was just a segregated part of the season. Interesting. Thank you.
1: Yeah, yeah I got you, man. That, that, that is interesting. I'm glad Alex brought that up because, you know, as he said, you know, they've been talking about in-season tournament in the NBA and that's kind of been the kicker. Like, you know, what, what's the point? Like what, what are you going to do for well, – like, what's going to incentivize the teams to, like, you know, go out and win that kind of thing. But, um, you know, there's been a – you know, we talked about LaMelo Ball, and obviously we are talking about Josh Giddy, But – and I, I would say that those are two, like, people that went to the NBL and succeeded. Um, but then you have two other guys that came up from the NBL that didn't necessarily see as much success as those guys, and Terrence Ferguson and Josh Green. Um, is there something – like does it take a certain type of person to succeed in the NBL does it like wait what is what's the determining factor there
3: well Josh Green went to college so I didn't didn't
1: mean Josh Green sorry RJ Hampton sorry same draft
0: my bad I was like I was trying to pick my brain there I was like yeah he's Australian (laughs) though right that's that's what I was confused about
3: Josh Green is Australian yeah okay yeah that that's Um, that's
1: what I had confused my bad
3: (laughs) yeah um well As you can imagine, it's much harder than college. You're playing against grown men, and every night you're going to be guarded by Kiefer Sykes, who just landed a deal with the Pacers and hit the big shot in the um, TBT tournament. You're playing against NBA centers. You're playing against Jarrell Martin. You're playing against Cameron Oliver, who's just signing a uh, summer league contract now with the Warriors. playing against Isaac Humphrey, who's a former Atlanta Hawk. And then on the perimeter, you're being guarded by... American imports, Tony Crocker, you're being guarded by DJ Newball, who's had a cup of tea overseas. Like every night you play against an NBA level player and you're going to have to win as an 18 year old. There is not, it's not easy. It's not a template of success. You have to come here and you have to do it well. And we've got that in stark contrast with Mojave King and Josh Giddy this season. Both were projected to be possible first round picks. Mojave King was buried in the team's depth chart and never really got a fair shake in the rotation and he didn't get drafted. And he's projected 48th in next year's draft where Josh Giddy was given the ball in his hands and he was productive for the whole season and he got drafted six overall. It's depends on your situation, but it depends how well can you adapt playing against grown men every night. And that's what we saw with Hampton as well, that Hampton played on a winning team with a, israeli coach who plays like a european coach and we all know european coaches are bastards and they will play their old guys and they will treat their young guys like they are 40 year old veterans who know exactly what to do rj hampton had to compete alongside guys who are the stars of the new zealand national team the guys who are the 20 point per game scorers when new zealand qualifies for tournaments and he got buried in the rotation He was 18 years old and he had to figure out how to play a European style defense against grown men in Australia on the other side of the planet and New Zealand. So Lamelo, on the other hand had a, the fourth or fifth highest usage percentage in the NBL total. The season he played had like three and a half turnovers per game, but he had the ball in his hands, every possession, but the Hawks only won three games when he played. So there is a recipe for success. It is not a handout to be successful in the NBL. If you're going to be a next star, which is the programs that bring over um, international or highly productive Australian talent, you have to be in a good situation, but you also have to be productive. If you're not productive, you're going to get buried in the rotation and it might be worse off for you. We saw that with um, uh, Terry Armstrong, who was a five-star recruit with and he was possibly going to go to Arizona. He couldn't play defense at all. He played I nicknamed him 35 seconds Terry because he wore 35 in the season because he only played 35 seconds in probably one of the games I saw. And I went to a Southeast Melbourne Phoenix training and he wasn't even keeping up with like the Kyle Corver equivalent in the NBL, Ben Madgen, who's 35, like he's a good shooter, but he couldn't keep up with him going off screen. So there is a plethora of NBA level talent. You have to compete with be better than, and be productive enough to stay on the court. So that's why it's really good to see Giddy perform that high at that level because if he was in college, he would have arguably an easier an easier way to get to the ring, finish to the ring, and
0: easier people to try and get off the dribble for. Yeah, it's I so kind of piggybacking off that question. The I I'm one of those people that I can't well with college. I can't always like see a guy in college and. I'll see him balling out and wherever. And I'll be like, Oh, he's probably going to be pretty good in the NBA. But then the draft experts will be like, actually, he's like not even going to be good enough to make the draft this year. And I'm like, okay, well, I clearly don't know anything. So with the NBL, when you see guys like Giddy versus like what Dylan was saying, people like Terrence Ferguson, RJ Hampton, that are more, are still struggling. Uh, like, You mentioned a couple things, like talking about how the coaches matter and like how they use them and stuff like that. But can you talk a little bit more about like how Giddy and uh, other people that have been successful in the NBL? What you see in like consistently through those guys that then ends up actually translating into the draft?
3: Well, there hasn't been that many next stars. It's only a newer program, so. The real track record of success has been with the imports who have signed over. Like, Jay Sean Tate, for example, was a 20-point-per-game scorer, five rebounds, five assists with the Sydney Kings, and he was phenomenal in the NBL. Two-way threat, could do everything on the court bar shoot, and he was arguably the most impactful player for Sydney in their grand final series last season before it got prematurely ended by COVID-19 restriction. Like that's when the pandemic started during their grand finals, they had to prematurely end it. But he went over to the NBA, basically did everything he did in the NBL, just with less attempts, less frequency and less efficiency because he's playing against NBA players. So it's more so that whatever you do in the NBL, if you do that well, you should be able to do it in the NBA if you're smart about it. And we see that like Lamello is more or less doing what he did in the NBL, but he's just a better shooter, less frequently turning it over, and more engaged defensively. If you do the things you do well, it's just basketball. It's just doing the things you do well, but translating it overseas. And we've seen that with another guy like Mitch Craig and Aussie who had two stints in the NBA. He is more, he's more of a power forward, but he's only like 6'4", six, 6'5". And he spent the entire season basically being a 6'5 Giannis and he got away with it because of the NBL's smaller overall. That doesn't translate mm. to the NBA. So if you're going to do something in the NBL, if it doesn't translate in the NBA, you're going to be stuck overseas. But if you have a skill that is transferable, like passing, like shooting, like defending, you're going to make it in the NBA. But for example, with Mitch Creek, who is an excellent NBL player, his three-point shooting, his defense, and driving to the ring are pretty good. But his best asset is his strength and his like playmaking while he's moving. But the strength and playmaking gets limited when he goes up against bigger players, larger players, faster players. So the things that you have to do is have transferable skills, and that is shooting defense playmaking. And that's what we see with Giddy, that he's a phenomenal playmaker. He's a phenomenal rebounder and he's eh at everything else at the moment. But those two skills are so much above almost anyone in the NBL, it's going to translate because we saw that with Yeah,
1: And, you know, touching on what you said there, you know, everything else is just eh. kind of eh. Something that, you know, a lot of giddy detractors are quick to point out, and and really like just thunder detractors in general, like it's always been a big complaint. We always get guys that quote-unquote can't shoot. And I, I think Giddy addressed this in one of his either like uh, pre-draft interviews or something like that. But he talked about like, hey, I got off to a really bad start. Um, like I, I wasn't shooting the ball well. And, you know, everybody, like, I think, you know, we talked to a couple draft uh, heads like going into the draft, said that he kind of recovered there at the end of the season. Like his last 10 games, he was shooting like something like high 30s in terms of percentage. But he dug himself into a hole early on. Um, so with that being said, do you think that Giddy is going to be able to shoot at the next level? He's not Clay
3: Thompson. He's never going to be Clay Thompson, but he's going to be <sighs> able. Crap. <laughs> that's that's the thing is that you don't have to be Clay Thompson to be a good shooter. We see yeah. with Jay Crowder that Jay Crowder isn't a three-point shooter, but he is efficient mostly from the corners and catch and shoot. And that's where you need to envision Giddy at the moment that there were moments towards the end of the season where he was really confident. He was getting into his own spots. He was going off the dribble. He was taking step backs, but some of that was flash in the pan. Some of that was pure, like I wouldn't say luck, but at the moment of the game, they were dropping off. So we had more space. It's, he's never going to be that pure shooter, but there are, inklings showing his work ethic his positioning on the court and the way he uses his screener is going to open him up to be a decent spot-up shooter and the comparison i've been making is lonzo that lonzo had a broken mm. shot when he came into the nba one, yeah. but giddy does not have a broken shot it's a little bit awkward it has a little bit of a hitch in it but it is not broken at all and he shot 29 coming off an awful first month And an average to above average rest of the season so coming into the nba you probably see him sitting between 30 to 33 percent for his first season but as i wrote my draft profile that if you can get to 36 percent on like six attempts per game that is a guy you have to contest but that's not the guy you're panicking to cover in the corner But if you're making those shots, that's what matters the most. And he's going to make those shots eventually, unless something goes wrong.
0: So I want to kind of piggyback off the competitiveness and work ethic you mentioned for Giddy. Um, So I I definitely believe you said that, but just to play devil's advocate, um, you know, I could, I could see somebody if they say that was like, well, we don't really know. We haven't, he's not been in our organization yet. uh, So there's no way to actually confirm that. So what? in your experience covering him uh, could you maybe point to as evidence to that in maybe kind of what you said with shooting like maybe it was something like where he improved his shot maybe it was something where he was he changed his game a little bit uh, more efficient whatever it is what did you see in his time in the NBL that showed you that he does have a good work ethic and he's highly competitive
3: well it's all hoopla when you talk about you know work ethic and rah rah but It was never really, I don't think it was ever a lack of effort thing. It was a lack of confidence and he got confident throughout the season. When he entered the preseason in the NBL, prior to that, his coach Connor Henry uh, played with Larry Bird. He said, we saw him in the basketball without borders camp in Chicago. He was 17 years old. He was like six foot six skinny as could be. And in those tournaments, it's all about you you were trying to score the most. You were trying to get the most assists. You were trying to get the most rebounds. You were trying to show off. Connor Henry loved that Giddy was just being himself. He didn't care about stats. He didn't care about looking good. He was literally just trying to win in an exhibition tournament, which is mostly for showing off your talent. So that sparked Connor Henry's eye. And then when he got over to Adelaide, he was 17 years old, as skinny as can be, but he put on 15 kilos within like four months. He was two inches taller and he was immediately starting as the point guard in the preseason, more or less. Like the first game he wasn't, second game he was. So then throughout the entire season, he started basically. Like he's, he went from being a quiet, unprojected prospect in the basketball without borders camp in Chicago in 2019 to being the starting point guard on overseas league overnight. And then, Throughout the season, he just got more confident, more efficient. And then when I was doing my research, um, his he had two trainers. He had Andrew Gaze, one of the greatest Australian basketball players of all time, averaged 20 points per game in five separate Olympics. That's over like two decades because the Olympics is being spread out. Jesus. So him and Derek Rucker, who was born from the Rucker Park era, um. No, Daryl McDonald, sorry. Um, Daryl McDonald was born from the Rucker Park era, has one of the best handles the NBL has ever seen. So wh- I got his itinerary. I got shown his I- itinerary. He would get to the gym at seven in the morning. He would lift weights for two hours. And at half an hour after that, Andrew Gaze would come in, who's basically his uncle because his dad, Warwick Giddy, played with the Melbourne Tigers where Andrew Gaze spent his entire career. Um, mm. Shot with Andrew Gaze for two hours, who shot who's like a 14 time scoring champion in the NBL. So you don't have a better coach. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. You don't have a better coach than him. So (laughs) two and a half hours shooting with Andrew Gaze, he would have a break. And then at night he would work with Daryl McDonald on his handle, pick and roll and um, spot up shooting. So for two months, he basically had that for like seven days a week. And that's that's where we see like that was pre-draft, and then he went over to Vegas to play with the Australian Boomers national team and get some reps there. Then he played that um, exhibition game against Nigeria, and that got all the executives looking at him. So, despite the season ending, he's had like three months of straight work, and that's something Lamelo didn't really have. For example, like Lamelo ended his season in the middle of January because of like a foot spur. And he had like six months off before the draft. He was just working. Giddy's had a shorter time frame, but did the same amount of work LaMelo did, more or less. And that's where Giddy's work ethic is. And if you remember the Ben Simmons draft, the media, the fans were hyped, but you didn't see any testimonies from the, the greats, the the Mount Rushmore of Australian basketball. You didn't see that sort of love coming cool. into this draft off the top of my head. Luke Longley, Andrew Bogut, Chris Anstey, Shane Heal, Andrew Gaze, and every single media person, every single fan, every single coach, player, and staffer in the NBL. Testimonies, golden record. He got called the golden boy by one of the NBL players when he was getting calls. Like, he to have Luke Longley... Andrew Bogut alone giving you testimonies who are both employees of a different organization to the Adelaide 36ers is enough alone. Then you also get Andrew Gaze, Shane Hill, like Ben Simmons never saw that sort of testimony from the, the pillars of Australian basketball history. So there's some, it could be, it could be blowing air up his ass because we don't know how much Giddy is loved within the organization. We don't know how many of those guys are friends with Warwick Giddy, but I imagine many of them are, but so compare that for Ben Simmons. We didn't see that sort of love. So clearly something's going right. Clearly Giddy is doing something that the Australian, like Parthenon are agreeing with. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Andrew,
2: Andrew, Andrew Gaze. Is that like, is that like the Michael Jordan of Australian basketball? Cause, um, at the, uh, at the press conference, like Giddy was talking a lot about Andrew Gaze, um, just, just like you said, like he's an uncle to him also, um, but also praising like, everything that he did as far as Australian basketball goes and things like that.
3: Yeah, um, well, before, the best basketball player we've ever had is Lauren Jackson, and she's one of the greatest WNBA players of all time, but she was after Andrew Gaze, and Andrew Gaze represented Australia in five different Olympics, every single FIBA thing ever, And as I said, scored 20 points per game in like four of the five (laughs) Olympic tournaments he went to. So as well as being the face of the NBL for two decades with the Melbourne Tigers. So he's the greatest male basketball player we've ever had by far. Simmons hasn't gotten close because he hasn't worn the Boomers jersey. He hasn't been uber successful. He could get there. But at this point of time, Andrew Gaze is more or less the goat of Australian basketball male-wise. But Lauren Jackson is... Are incomparable in her resume as well that we're lucky to have so much talent spread across both sexes.
0: It's like MJ LeBron, but for Australia, it's like who's the goat? You know what I mean? <laughs> uh but I, I wanted to bring this up real quick. I, I'm kind of taking over all the questions here. But the Ben Simmons uh thing, I I wanted to bring this up um and you mentioned him. So I just wanted to ask now I'm sure you've seen the news with uh, the Sixers. I I actually don't know if it's true, but there's reports that he's cut off ties. He wants to go to Golden State. Blah blah blah. Uh, I just want to get your thoughts on that. Like as as someone who's covering Australian basketball, um, and from that perspective, what what do you think about his situation? How things ended last year in the playoffs, and you know where you think he's going to go, all that stuff.
2: Don't don't forget that he called himself a young socialite, and he doesn't want to go to Portland or <laughs> where was the other team? Um, Toronto. Toronto, yeah. yeah. Which Toronto is a world class city, but okay. But yeah, young socialite Ben Simmons.
3: Um. Well, clearly something was wrong mentally, physically. Something was wrong during that Hawks series, and that will that will stain his career until he fixes it. And mm-hmm. we're at a point now where Doc Rivers and Joel Embiid both threw him under the bus for better or for worse, right or wrong. That did happen, so. I don't know what the relationship is. If I was Ben Simmons, I would be upset how my coach and star teammate treated me, but he did deserve a lot of criticism for how that series played out. He kept Trey Young to an inefficient level, but Trey Young still scored at a very high level. And Ben Simmons needs to be more aggressive. That's the big thing. Everyone talks about, oh, he needs to shoot threes. He needs to shoot fadeaways. He just needs to get to the ring and shoot free throws at a higher level. That is the benchmark of where he is because he is one of the 10 best defend, one of the three best defenders in the NBA and one of the 10 best playmakers in the NBA. That is indisputable. The way he creates three point shots is more important than most assists in the NBA. Not, not all assists are made equal and Ben Simmons makes points created per game is astonishing. That. Where we sit, he can create, he can defend, but he can't actually get to the ring at the moment. I don't know. That's probably mental. He's just out of all sorts. And that's a partial reason why he wasn't playing with the Australian national team. Would that culture help him be more confident? Maybe. But would that limit how well he can develop his skills? Probably. We don't know. But the situation where, again, he's going to be in that organization, he's going to have to listen to the coach and the star player who threw him under the bus... And the roster hasn't changed that much. It's not like you've replaced Tobias Harris with a star point guard who can dribble and you can make Ben Simmons the Draymond Green that we all envision him to be. It's the lack of flexibility with the Sixers has probably strained Ben Simmons enough to go get me out of here. But I don't know why he's declining certain options. Maybe that's brand wise, maybe that's clutch-wise, but it's in both teams' best interests to move on from him, but it's also in Daryl Morey's best interest to get all of the best assets for him.
1: You know, touching on Ben Simmons, um, because you know there there is a little bit of similarities in terms of you know just the playmaking prowess of him and Giddy. Um, what what would you say is the is similar or different in terms of their personality and their approach to the game? Because. You know, this past season, you know, the thing that kind of rings out in fans' mind is, you know, Simmons having a wide-open layup and dumping it off to Matisse Theibel for a contested layup. And it's just, like, he lost that confidence. Um, and I don't know, do you, do you see Josh Giddy as a guy who is a has a lack of confidence, or do you think that, um, you know, he, he's got some swag to him? The only comparison
3: is they're Australian, they're tall, and they're playmakers. That's it. That's the only similarities between
0: nice. them. There's nothing
3: else between it. It's as all draft I comparisons like the are, they're lazy. That's it. It's that's why we say Joe Ingalls because he's a tall not super athletic playmaker. It's it's like, cuz Joe Ingalls is a world-class shooter, Giddy is not close. We make these comparisons cuz they're lazy and digestible, but comparing Ben Simmons to Josh Green is compare I mean Josh Giddy is comparing LeBron James to Kyle Anderson. It's it's just Oh wow. But not <laughs> Not in talent wise, but we're talking about a tall, a tall playmaker who can get to the ring. We're just comparing similar traits, but ignoring everything else.
0: Yeah. Hypothetically, if one of us on here had compared Josh Giddy to uh, Luca, what would you say of that? Playmaking
3: wise, sh- yep. Um, rebounding okay. wise, yep. Scoring, not even close. Giddy's peak is probably 17, 18 points per game, making two threes, getting to the free throw line six times, making four of them and getting a half a dozen layups and a mid-range jumper. Luka Doncic went for 48 in the Olympics. It's not comparable. I think where mm, are yeah. again, lazy comparison, white guy who can pass, who can rebound, who's from overseas. We, we fall into these traps of comparing guys and, the reason we give comparisons is to give casual observers a point of reference on their general style so we don't have to go too in-depth. And I think that, especially with Giddy, it's not hyperbole to say we've never seen anything like him because he's not a defensive stud like Ben Simmons, but he has similar traits in other places. He's not an elite scorer like Luka Doncic, but he has similar traits in other places. He's more athletic than Kyle Anderson. He's a better passer than Pl- Kyle Anderson, but he's a worse defender than Kyle Anderson, but he's a better getting it to the ring than Kyle Anderson. There's all these comparisons. He's a shorter, he's a taller Ricky Rubio, and Rubio's a better shooter. We can make every comparison under the sun, but none of them actually get the essence of Giddy right, which is often what happens with draft prospects.
1: Yeah, I I want to go back to the question I asked because, like, I, I wasn't trying to compare them as players. I was just saying, you know, speaking of playmaking, the, the thing that I'm like just kind of focused on is like, you know, just the way they carry themselves on the court, how they approach the game. Uh, what would you say that, you know, that is similar? or mm-hmm. do you see contrast on that part? Well, I don't exactly know
3: the, they both bring the ball up the court. They both run pick and rolls, but Giddy is more prone to take a shot outside. Ben Simmons is more prone to drive. There's, a similarity in that they are comfortable being the ball handler. I would say Giddy's more comfortable off the ball than Ben Simmons is, as we saw when Jimmy Butler took over the point guard duties, but it's hard to compare a six foot nine guy or six foot eight, six foot nine playmaker who's as skinny as can be, who has to finish around NBA level talent compared to a guy who's seven foot and has American uber athleticism where Giddy has the lesser Australian athleticism that like yeah. Ben Simmons comes from Dave Simmons, who was an, an American import who lived in Australia. Giddy is born from two got a guy who looks like Joe Ingalls. <laughs> it's <laughs> where it's comparing apples to oranges in that aspect. I think you can compare them in their essence that they're both tall playmakers that bring up the ball, but when they actually get into their half court sets, there's a lot of differences. Ben Simmons is built to be a roller giddy is not the roller that you can have giddy could make a pick and roll and a spain pick and roll but he's not going to be rolling to the ring
0: yeah i i think um another maybe just uh so we're not well i don't know what i was gonna say there what do you think like the best NBA comparison is to Josh. Like if you had to pick one person, I know it's kind. Of, we just said it's kind of lazy to just pick one person, and compare them. But like the most accurate one player you compare to Josh Giddy that's in the league right now in the NBA. Who do you think that would be?
3: It'd probably be Joe Ingles. It's just without the shot that Joe okay. Ingles is your secondary playmaker. Typically, he brings up the ball thirty-five percent of the possessions. He runs the pick and roll. He plays off the ball a lot. That's where Giddy's maximized role is probably going to be. He's going to be your secondary playmaker next to a scorer like SGA. He's going to be handling the ball a lot, but he's going to be able to sit in the corner and draw the defense. He's going to be able to cut. He's going to be able to be that guy where you kick it off pressure. He gets the ball. He takes the jab. Then he gets the screen. And then he makes the skip pass to the opposite corner. Like we're going to see Mm. this. See this version of Giddy. I think with the Thunder, he's going to have more room to play in essence of minutes and time to like with the ball. But I think as the lead point guard, it's harder to be the lead point guard without the skills and the dribble and the scoring that like an SGA or even a Lamello ball has. Lamello ball has a very good handle. He's very good at getting to the ring and he's unafraid of shot creating where Giddy isn't afraid, but it's not going to be efficient so he's smart he's not he's not going to take a bad shot because he needs to draw the defense he's going to make the right play and that's people say that that's a um, lack of confidence but you watch the film and you go yeah that'd be a dumb shot that wouldn't be the right play he's always looking for the right play and that's been drilled into him with his you know 18 years playing australian basketball you play the right way
1: nice uh, you know, you bring up Shea, and you know that's kind of a question amongst Thunder fans as we go into this year. We're trying to see how the free agency shakes out, trades. You know, the people that we drafted, and everybody wants to talk about what we project the starting lineup is. I've seen everything from Giddy at point guard. I've seen him, um, you know, just as an, an another guard out there, but next to Shea, and I've seen him as a wing creator. Um, where do you think he projects as a best fit, uh, for this Thunder roster, specifically next to a guy like Shigel, Alexander, and uh, and Lou Dort, you know, to help, you know, make up for defensively? I think the
3: lineup is some combination of SGA at point, Dort at two, Giddy at three, Basley or another forward at forward, and your center. You have Giddy, you hide Giddy on the wing, like you do with like a Jay Crowder, who not Jay as an offensively, like. You have your guy sitting in the corner and guarding Giddy. You have your weaker perimeter defender on Giddy because Giddy isn't going to punish you that much. But the thing with Giddy is that, especially with Dort, offensively, Dort's going to be you know playing bigger than he actually is. So Giddy's going to have opportunities to switch onto the two guards that are defending, and he's going to have more room to play. And I think that when you get into that Thunder roster, there is a dozen lanky guys who are young and can defend reasonably to very well and that's where Giddy's going to be in that two three range and I think Dort is going to start to cover up Giddy's misinterpretations miss it like missing assignments SGA is going to be fine mostly and then you have your forwards and then Giddy you know offensively he's going to be all right but then defensively you're putting him you're hiding him in the corner on a shooter. And then Mm. as he gets older, he's going to learn to be that like Draymond Green sort of guy where he's going to be lurking from the corner for a pass or a steal and he's going to get it and he's going to push the break. What we saw with LaMelo just a little bit as well, that if you play off the ball, those guys who are really good offensively may not be excellent defenders, but they can still read the court and the passing lane. So if you give him an assignment where he doesn't have to worry about it too much. He's going to make the best of that situation. And I think that's where we're going to see him as the, I made the comparison of Joe Ingalls and Donovan Mitchell that you're going to have your primary scorer, Mm. who's an elite scorer. And then you're going to have have your secondary guy who's helping him out as well as, you know, keeping, keeping things organized.
0: I actually, so I was trying to pull some questions from Twitter because we asked, and someone asked this, and I can't believe I didn't think of this before. Um, Does Giddy from your – and by the way, this is at Mr. Doughboy underscore to give him credit because he came up with the question. But does he have any pregame moves or – any signature moves, like, after a dunk that we can expect? So, for example, like, LeBron, he does the, like, chalk thing. Do we have any of that with Giddy that OKC fans can look forward to?
3: Um, I would say that. The only, okay, the two things that are fun to watch is going to be, oh, actually, there's three things. See, if girls fall in love with him because he's a very oh. handsome boy and he has lovely long hair, uh, there's going to be personality some... too. There's, and he's got the accent. <laughs> and the accent, girls yeah. are gonna love the accent. The accent
0: loves. Yep, yep, they love a lady
3: it. Killer. The mm-hmm. other one is gonna be the shoes. He's an absolute sneaker head. He wears Kobe fives all the time. So he's gonna have a good sneaker rotation. So if you're on that, you're gonna have fun with that. And good
0: fit overall too, at the draft. He just he was he was dressed really well.
3: And then number three will probably be the only in-game move I can remember specifically is he hit this huge three late in the game and he just threw both his hands up doing the threes like with like the mellow three like classic like, yeah. yeah yeah just both hands yeah. in the air absolutely ecstatic so there isn't a specific ritual ritual or signature move he has but just like imagine like the dorky lanky teenager celebrations he's gonna have and there's gonna be some memeable moments we've already seen memeable moments in press conferences and There's going to be more of that because that's what Australians are. That's what we see like Stephen Adams as well. We're just awkward, sarcastic people. And there's going to be some good moments like the poop um, press conference. That's (laughs) the start of a long line of that's the start of a long line of just dumb things that are going to happen that are going to be funny.
0: I just, like, you speaking of, like, awkward, tall guys, it's just, I'm just thinking of him and Poku now, Pokerchevsky. just, like, yeah. the awkwardness between those two. So funny. Them rolling up to a
3: club would be um strange. Oh, my God. Can
0: you imagine?
1: Yeah. It's funny you brought up the poop thing because you know as you said you know we wasn't as attuned to giddy as other guys just because like i said before like we didn't expect him to be in that you know six spot range i didn't expect him to be in the 16 18 range either i thought he was right there in like that 8 to 12 i never expected to possibly get him but whatever the poop thing happened and you know he just he just kept it going like a champ i'm like all right i gotta bump him up a few spots on my draft board he's (laughs) he's he's ice cold um but no man um yeah, I, I love getting uh, – I've been following him on TikTok. His personality shines through on TikTok. His sense of humor is spot on. I, I think he's a lot of fun. Um, you know, you talk about, you know, the similarities of Steven Adams. And, you know, there's a highlight going around on Twitter. Um, I'm sure a lot of people have seen it by now. But he caught a – you know, he was going out on a fast break. He went up with two hands and dunked the ball. And for whatever reason, he hung – hold on to the rim the whole time, went straight vertical, and then just face-planted. But to his credit, got up like an absolute champ, like it didn't even happen. And That's I mean, Aussie rules
3: football blood.
1: Yeah, just goes if you, ever,
3: if you ever get bored, look up Australian rules for like AFL bumps, hits, tackles. It's just like NFL on steroids and there's no pads, there's no helmets and Giddy along with probably 60% of Australian men have played Australian rules at some point and you just get knocked around to pieces. So falling on your face <laughs> is nothing for an AFL player, All right. including I'll myself, who's done every single injury you can imagine. And I've still got broken fingers. You can tell with my two middle fingers... The one oh okay. Uh, well, now this, flip, off, I guess. flip
0: flipping us up. this
3: this middle finger on my right side is still broken. The knuckle that it just never healed properly. That you just have a hundred thousand injuries you'll get, and Giddy is no stranger to just getting absolutely thrown about. So the NBA won't be a trouble for him. I love
0: it. Well,
1: that's love awesome it. to hear. He'll he'll be tough driving into the lane. So I'm liking that. Uh, hey, you, I- oh, go ahead, Alex.
2: I- yeah, so just one question, and this is something that I, I've always wondered. Do you think that the, the history that Sam Presti had, or the, short, the very brief short history that Sam Presti had with Adelaide and the 36ers, um, do you think that helped him maybe gain some insight um, into, or a head start into maybe scouting Josh Giddy uh, in preparation for this draft?
3: I don't know the history of Sam Presti with the 36 Sixers. The- well, I mean, just he had so in two
2: thousand eighteen he drafted. I don't know uh, that either. Yeah,
3: Terrence Ferguson. Oh, oh so you just mean drafting players? That, oh, okay. I thought you meant that he had like front office experience. No, no, that's no, what no, I no, thought
0: no. too. I was like, wait. No. A minute. <laughs> no, no, no. He, you know, he this has
2: happen. a he has a history with them as far as a relationship built that.
0: Yeah, gotcha.
3: Well, yeah, it's a it's a different coach. I. I think Jeff has been there the same amount of time, the GM, but um, I don't think that the organization relationship matters that much because when you're talking, when you're doing draft prospects overseas, you look for the connections, you know. So for example, with Sam Presty, he knows, he has access to the Andrew Gazers, the Andrew Boguts, the Luke Longleys through the NBA connections. He has relationship with the eight, the agent who, uh, represents many Australians. So there's there, those connections are there, as well as the coach, Connor Henry, is of similar age to Sam Presti, NBA, former NBA player as well. At a certain point, actually getting access to the team doesn't really matter that much. It's about the people who know him, his agent, and um, the connections you have with the coach, if you can get the coach. So the coach doesn't matter as much as the... Um, the like you know what do you call them on your resume your um character references as well as your personal trainers and um agents so the connections to the team don't matter as much as that but drafting terrence ferguson he wasn't a successful draft pick he bounced around a bit but i guess the doing you have to do your homework if you're drafting overseas and he'd already done that homework with the nbl before so that might have given him some comfort but all teams know how good the NBL is. They're, it's just taking teams to actually decide on it. We're seeing like the Houston Rockets, for example, are fully invested in the NBL. They um, took Jay Sean Tate. They hired Will Weaver, who is the Sydney Kings head coach. The Pelicans um, took Didi Lazana, who's a draft. They put their draft and stash down in Sydney. So teams are recognizing the value of it. And Will Magne... Um, an NBL player was brought over to their G league team. So teams are recognizing they know how good the NBL is. It's just, if they're comfortable with it or not, if they can get the right contract, I think that Terrence Ferguson, that pre that pre done homework helps, but I I don't think it's a deciding factor or not. If you know, they pick Giddy because Giddy by himself is not comparable to Terrence Ferguson.
0: Yeah, definitely not. Um, yeah, I, I, so first of all, Lachlan, thank you for, for hopping on. We appreciate it. Um, I want to just fire off a couple more Twitter questions before we uh, wrap things up because we got, got a few. I do want to say um, I'm looking at the tweet now where we asked for questions for this. And I realized um, a lot of the responses are a little confused because in our tweet, we said we will be talking Josh Giddy. We did not say we will be talking to Josh Giddy, which I think a lot of people thought that was the way that was worded. And so a lot of these questions are to Josh, but I'm Let's going see. to try to reword them
1: for <laughs> that's, you. That's what happens when you're going to tweet this at work? Right. to,
0: yeah, I was like, I was looking at these <laughs> questions. Like, why is, why is this for Josh? I don't uh, know, it's funny. Anyway. Um, it's, 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 so. uh,
2: it's La- Lachlan, Josh giddy Everett.
0: Yes, exactly. Um, So this was a question I was actually going to ask. So I'll just ask his question, which is a variation. But uh, where do you see the biggest hole in his game? And what area do you need him to adjust in the NBA? And we've kind of touched on that a little bit. um, But I just wanted to see, like, you know, the one thing that, like you said earlier, sometimes in the NBL, you can get away with it. And then in the NBA, you can't because they're better players. What's like the one big thing for Giddy you see that could be a hole for him?
3: His biggest flaw would be his shooting, but his biggest improvement area is probably his defense. That the thing he was worst at, the thing he was worst at was his shooting, but I feel like that is a progression that's already taking place. His biggest baseline improvement area will be his defense. That at the NBL level, Mm -hmm. it was average to below average. In that scrimmage game against Nigeria, he was pretty solid, but the Nigerian athletes were quite quite athletic and gave him a bit of trouble here and there. But if you're looking for one or the other, I would say defense because if you can't defend, you can't play. If you can't shoot, you can work around it, as well as shooting is easier to improve in that sense, I believe. Defense is harder Mm. to improve to get... like, I feel like for shooting it's easier to go up little by little step for defense. It's harder to take those leaps to progress from a bad defender to a neutral defender, to a good defender, to a great defender. Like those steps are harder than going from 29% to 33% to 36% to 39%. So I it's one of those two, depending on how you look at it, I would say defense because I see the shooting improving already. Yeah.
0: All right. And yeah, that was from Bull Gatch, by the way. So thank you for that. And then the last one I'll do, this was directed to Josh Giddy, So I'll try to reword it, but it was from at twice God 52. Um, So his question was essentially about the summer league, which uh, we've been told he's going to be playing in. And what is uh, Josh Giddy's goals for the summer league? So obviously can't change his defense in just one summer league and can't necessarily improve his shooting that much. So what, what do you think in just the summer league, he should be, or we should be looking for in terms of like his his steps towards the NBA?
3: It'll be about his feel, that he's going to be playing with NBA players now. He's been playing with some NBA players. He hasn't been playing with completely NBA players. And I think that FIBA versus the NBA is different. We're seeing that a lot with the Olympics, but the court's a little bit bigger. The court is a lot more spaced out rather than FIBA the rules are a little bit different, but Josh knows the rules. It's just getting used to it a bit more. And um, put it this way, the NBA court is bigger, literally and figuratively. There is more space. There is more avenues to get to the ring. There are bigger people on the court. There are more minutes as well. You're playing 48 instead of 40
0: that
3: for every single FIBA player. There is a, first quarter adjustment getting used to playing two more minutes getting used to having a bit more space on the court getting used to having to play more aggressively and more manipulatively like in FIBA you can't play as manipulatively as you can in the NBA because there's more fouls drawn and there's more opportunities to pick on weaker defenders where in FIBA you don't have that as much because of the rules and the style as well as the coaching style he's gonna to have to get used to his new coach he's gonna to have to get used to the idea that isolations are more common and more prevalent in the nba he's not used to having his isolations as much as he will in the nba as like having the ball and isolating himself as what as well as watching other people isolate getting used to someone isolating every possession is a weird adjustment because then you have to screen off the ball you have to give them space as well where You know, when you're playing a team-orientated system, you're always moving, you're always sharing. So he's going to have to get used to that. But I think everything's going to translate at a reasonable level. It's just getting used to it, getting more comfortable and building chemistry. That's the big thing. That for a playmaker to be successful, you need to have chemistry and know where your guys are on the court, know who your pick-and-roll players are, and know where people are going to stand. Because if you're going to jump up in the air, pump fake and then kick to the
1: corner you need to remember if someone's standing in the corner or not
0: yeah it's kind of important yeah
1: yeah I, I just got a couple more questions before we wrap up here so um obviously you know going into the draft i think giddy was listed as six eight um he has since confirmed that he is six foot nine and when he was actually standing up next to jeremiah robinson Earl uh he was just as tall if not taller uh do you think the young man is gonna grow anymore or do you think he's going to chill 6'9", or what? Well, I've stood next to his dad. I've had lunch with his dad. I've
3: spoken to his dad. His dad's 6'7", six, 6'6". Six, six. And then draft night, he's standing next to his dad. He's a beanstalk taller. So there's no questions about his height at the moment. He's clearly pulled that benchmark. The thing is, I think that he's he's young. He's one of the youngest in this draft, but the way he's grown, he's already had his big growth spurt. He went from like 6'6 to 6'9, or he went from like 6'8, I mean 6'6 to 6'8, and then he like tiddled, tiddled, tiddled a little bit up to 6'9 throughout the season. So I think he's almost done. If you're lucky, you get 6'10. And if you get 6'10, oh boy, that's a lot of fun. But at the moment, I think he's almost done. Maybe with different shoes, he's a little bit taller, but I think he's probably done growing. But, realistically how tall do you need him to be he's already 6'9 yeah i'm good 6'9
1: <laughs> nice yeah um and another thing with like how tall he is i mean this has kind of been uh something that you know draft people have pointed out and you know i've even seen kind of watching back film um his handle he kind of dribbles like very upright and you could even see it in his um at, when he got drafted and he was having his little photo shoot and he was just dribbling around in his suit like, you know, he was, like, lifting up his toes to get the ball in between his legs. He's got a very upright dribble. Um, do, you, do you see that as something that he's going to try to, you know, improve on, like, you know, try to lean into a dribble a little bit more? Or do you think that's just kind of how he is?
3: Um, yeah, well, with Daryl McDonald, he's been practicing dribbling lower. And um, Connor Henry said to me that he learned to dribble lower when people take it from you. In the NBL, people weren't stealing it from him. In the NBA, he's going to have the ball stripped from him. He's going to have the ball taken from his hands like Kawhi Leonard did to Ben McLemore. He's going to have just a tough time dribbling that high. And he's been practicing it, but he's not used to it. But guess what? Three games in, he's going to have to change it. That's not going to stand in the NBA much. And that'll, that'll be an adjustment, but he, he knows it's coming. He just has to get used to it because... One night you're playing against Besice Leibel, the next night you're playing against Kawhi Leonard, the next night you've got Jalen Brown, and then the next night you've got Tony Snell just jabbing the ball right in your hand. So there's gonna be night to night adjustments, and he's gonna figure that out pretty quickly.
1: There you go. Well, hey man, uh, you know, before we wrap up, I, I read a ad read for Ben Online, it actually had the rookie of the year odds. Uh, Josh Giddy was at, I believe, number seven for 16 to one odds. So, okay. uh I'm not saying Josh Giddey's going to win Rookie of the Year, but what do you think the likelihood is with opportunity, with the ball in his hands, the minutes that he's going to get? Um, what do you think the possibility is he makes an all-rookie team? I think he's
3: borderline a lock for one of the all-rookie teams. Ooh, okay. That,
0: okay.
3: Put it this way. He had 12-7-7 and 7 in the NBL. He was considered for all NBL, all-NBL. That is not an easy task to do. All MBL is two teams, three inside, no, three outside players, two inside players. He was considered on the second team alongside Casper Ware, who is an American and all-time great of the MBL, um, Mitch McCarron, who was co- considered Defensive Player of the Year and was the starting championship point guard, and Chris Goulding, who's one of the world's best shooters, and you would have seen him in Tokyo. He was considered for All MBL as an 18-year-old. So. Let's say he goes, let's compare it to LaMelo, right? LaMelo had 17, 6, and 6 in the NBL. Giddy had 12, 7, and 7. In the NBA, LaMelo had like 14, 15, 6, and 6. If Giddy averages 10, 5, and 5, that's an automatic second team. Like, no questions asked. Yeah that the the bar for all rookie team is lower than we think of it like Desmond Bain I don't think made it this year and he was a very like oh I think he made it but like the statistically wise he won't go off the chart as well as you got to remember people are gonna love Giddy they're gonna love the tall playmaking forward and Zach Lowe I bet you right now Zach Lowe that will be a 10 things coming into the set like one at at some point in the season, Zach Lowe will have a 10 things about Josh Kidd. So like the media is going to yes. love him. The coach is going to recognize how well of a passer he is and how system orientated he's willing to be. It's it's going to be hard to make first team because that top five of the draft is so good. Mm-hmm. But to be the sixth air quote, like all rookie team first team player is fine. And I think it's it's very hard to miss that all rookie team considering what giddy's working with at the moment and i think it would be a disappointment if he didn't make second time
1: all right that's all fair yeah you also got to mm-hmm. consider his highlight passes you know uh the internet is a sucker for a flashy pass so and we have seen giddy oh, yeah. make many of those so as we've seen Lamelo ball and you know everyone crazy for Lamelo balls passes so look forward to giddy's well well, man, I appreciate you coming on here, man, uh, sharing your wealth of knowledge. Like, God, man, you're an MBL encyclopedia. Like, my, my brain is hurting. <laughs> from all I am and all. I not before. the
3: encyclopedia. There is many, many more than me, but I try my best.
1: <laughs> all right. Well, hey, your you're first edition of this encyclopedia. But like I said, man, I want to thank you for taking your time and coming on, talking to Josh Giddy with us. I want to give you a chance to go ahead and plug anything you have to plug, your Twitter, any articles you got to write, what you got?
3: uh at lockie everett l-a-c-h-i-e-e-v-e-r-a-t-t um if you go to my profile and you click my link tree there is the link to all my hoops habit articles and that's where all my stuff goes and if you click that link it's a list of everything i write if you scroll down two seconds you'll see how josh giddy fits with the thunder that's my more formal thoughts i've got my huge draft profile which was my manifesto i wrote over two months and then more recently um jock landell just signed with the spurs another aussie who's coming over to the spurs on the long line of aussies but follow me on twitter check out my link tree with the hoops habit articles i'll be covering the raptors i'll be covering the thunder and i'll be covering any nbl things that might intrigue americans
1: <laughs> nice right. awesome man yeah well i'm sure we'll definitely be in touch throughout the season uh, as we see the young giddy um, start to improve but uh one you know as we end every podcast we like to join in a ceremonial unanimous uh in unison thunder up so you can join us in that or you can just chill we're not going to judge either way but um <laughs> guys we hope you have a great night god bless wash your hands wear a mask if you need to get vaccinated if you have not hoop when you can and as always thunder up, thunder thunder up. up. Thunder up. yes sir yes.